Welcome to Eurodial University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski. We may need to review the title of the show. Is it Welcome to Eurodial University with Jeff Snyder and Steve Van Meter? Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Emil. Yeah, my pleasure. Jeff, no. Jeff, I always go to you. I'm sick of it. Sick. Let's go to Steve first. Steve, PMIs, you've been talking about that on your show, haven't you, lately? In the United States, regional manufacturing surveys? Tell me which one of those you've been talking about and why it's top of mind, why you're bringing it to your audience. Yeah, that's a great question, Emil. I've, I've been really interested in the regional PMIs. Uh, I know that's something Jeff has also been talking about. And particularly, the new orders have just kind of dropped off of a cliff. And this isn't something that most people have expected. They've been saying the economy is booming, it's going to continue booming. But for some strange reason, New orders are collapsing at the same time that uh, Jeff and I have also been talking about how inventories are building. But when I look at a lot of correlations, you see as new orders decline, equity markets go down, interest rates go down. There seems to be a lot of things correlated to this. And I, I look at it as more of a leading indicator. A leading indicator for the economy. The stock market, shit, who knows? It may keep going up or down or sideways or in circles, as Matthew McConaughey told us once. And I think that was a documentary, wasn't it? I'm talking to you, Steve, because Jeff doesn't watch movies. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea. Wolf of Wall Street. <sighs> oh, okay. okay. I, 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 didn't, I didn't draw the parallel there. I've got that whole scene memorized where they're drinking uh, martinis every seven minutes. I love it. Okay. Uh, so what you said, interest rates may be going down too with new orders. But Jeff, I don't know if they're going to be going down because it's my sense that markets believe the Federal Reserve is zealous <laughs> to the point of what do we call cults or just insanity to the point where fanaticism, right? Yes, fanaticism. Thank yeah. you. They're to that point because the unemployment rate is low, uh, job openings are high. And the CPI prints will be high indefinitely. So CPI is high, bad, says Fed, but economy is booming because the unemployment rate is so low. Am I being disingenuous to the Fed's narrative? And I think, do you agree with me that that's what markets are sensing, that Fed's just going to keep raising rates? It's a massive Titanic struggle at the moment. It's a tug of war between two competing views. And Emil, I think you got the Fed's view exactly right. And that's exactly what's being priced into parts of these markets, the front end of the yield curve, the front end of the euro dollar futures curve, where, I mean, just this week, the FOMC meeting, or not the meeting, the minutes of the last meeting were released, and they reiterated, made a very big point of saying 75 basis point rate hike is on the table in July, maybe another 50 after that. Doesn't matter. And then they uh, emphasized in the minutes again, repeatedly, we're only going to react to consumer prices. Didn't say that specifically, and I'm paraphrasing, but the message was clear enough that CPI, 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 we don't care about the unemployment rate anymore. As you said, Emil, the economy's booming. In fact, that's the problem that they're trying to paint is that the economy's too good. We have to worry about this, you know, the Phillips curve and try to exploit the Phillips curve by trading some inflation or trading some employment for, for lower inflation. And that's the market is saying, yeah, maybe. The front end of the yield curve, still relatively steep. Rate hikes still likely to happen, certainly in July. The Fed's not going to pull himself off the table in July. Probably after that in September. 
But then after that, it gets really dicey because the back end of the yield curve continues to say, hold on a minute here. Not only do we not see consumer price acceleration from here, we're starting to get really nervous about the economic situation, which, as Steve mentioned, not just in PMIs, but PMIs are important because they're forward looking. You look at the new orders components that have just, as he said, they've collapsed. It's, they've just fallen straight down because of obviously the inventory overhang plus falling demand, consumer uncertainty, consumer sentiment in the United States in the toilet, record lows, consumer sentiment in Europe. Uh, some of them are record lows as well. So globally speaking, you can understand why the back half of the yield curve says, OK, the Fed's going to raise rates. But eventually, even though it doesn't want to pay attention to the economy, the economy is going to force itself on the Fed by saying inflation's done. Inflation's gone because it wasn't inflation. Consumer price acceleration stops. And now you've got to start worrying about a, a maybe a deep and prolonged recession. So the tug of war right now is kind of, you know, from one perspective, it's about when all of these things start to settle out and we get one uh, one version or the other starts to win out across the entire curve or across the entire marketplace. Steve, the PMI readings, we know about the manufacturing headline number, the service, the composite, but I believe there are also components of these PMIs, new orders. And right now we're talking about employment. Do you know if the employment outlook that we're getting from these surveys is positive? I heard that it was negative, the outlook. Yeah, you're right, Emil. The, the outlook there would be negative. And, and then this just comes back to that whole new order thing, right? Because if I have a business and I have a lot of inventory, which, you know, as Jeff has, and you have been making the case on your show for, I don't even know how long. It's been so long that we've seen inventories build. I've lost count. But if I have a lot of inventory in my business and I'm not moving it, well, the first thing I'm going to do is cut my new orders. And if the inventory is still not moving at that point, I'm going to stop hiring people. I'm not going to start laying people off immediately. That, that's going to be more of a lagging effect. But you're right. What we're seeing now is companies start to say is, hey, wait a minute, maybe all these things that we were told about this booming economy, maybe they're not real. And we're starting to see that pause won't be fast enough for the Fed to react, at least not in July. But as Jeff mentioned, maybe in September, the picture starts to change. And I think we all agree that by the end of the year, it really changes. Jeff, I want to go with one of those words that Steve just said, lagging, lagging. The PMIs, correct me if I'm wrong, they're leading indicators. So the employment outlook from the PMIs leading, but the, the unemployment rate that's a lagging indicator. The job openings, I don't know if we can even consider that correct, right? There's been a long problem with that, uh, that measure. Can you just bring the audience up to date on these, these measures that the Fed is pointing to saying strong, booming economy, and just bring the audience, remind them quickly how for years these have been uh, lagging indicators and not correlated with the health of the economy. Yeah, I think, you know, the unemployment rate, and as you mentioned, Emil, job openings, which is something we've highlighted before because it's such a massive discrepancy. And it's not just a recent discrepancy. It's been one going back to a long, uh, quite a long time, all the way back to 2011, all the way back to 2011 when we first started getting these reflation uh, deflation cycles. Um, so job openings look great, but questionable. 
The unemployment rate, it's not just a lagging indicator. It too is questionable because of the participation problem. Again, this is not a 2021, 2022 problem. It is a repeated problem. So you've got the Fed saying the economy's booming. And again, the FOMC minutes, Jay Powell's press conference last month highlighted the labor market is awesome. It's robust. It's great. Look at the unemployment rate. Look at job openings when, you know, if you were paying attention just a couple of years ago, it was job openings and an unemployment rate that led the Fed down the wrong path before. So those are two questionable metrics, but those are the mainstream metrics that everybody uses. So the Fed can make its case that it needs to do rate hikes. Now, the other stuff that we're talking about, um, PMIs, you know, the ISM's numbers, for example, the, both of them, manufacturing, non-manufacturing, not only are they below 50 in June, the latest numbers we got just this week, they're the lowest below 50 they've been since 2020. And you're right, those are more forward-looking because the question the ISM asks these purchasing managers around the country is, are you plan on adding workers or do you plan on cutting workers or plan on keeping them the same? And so a number below 50 suggests slightly more are either not hiring at all or maybe even cutting workers. The further you go below 50, the more it tilts toward cutting workers. So I think the ISM non-manufacturing employment index was 47.4, I think, which is that's a little concerning, a little uncomfortable here. And again, as a forward looking indicator, balancing against the faulty unemployment rate and the faulty job, job, uh, job openings number, you start to wonder. And it's not just that, too. I mean. We've also seen, we talked about the household survey, which we'll get tomorrow. We're recording this uh, the day before the payroll reports, which is, what is this today? July 7th? So July 8th. The day Boris Johnson resigned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so July 8th. See, your, your references go over heads, you know, movie references, culture references, whatever it is. Britain, Jeff. Britain. Yeah. So the payroll reports tomorrow, we'll see what they look like. Uh, they're not expected to be all that good. But the way Jay Powell, the FOMC, is painting them or characterizing them is that the same way as Mario Draghi did for the economy in 2018. What he said was, yeah, things are slowing down, but we went from really good to kind of good. No big deal. But if we weren't really good to start with, we were actually not very good to begin with, and we slowed down from there, it's a very different story, as sad Mario found out, of course. He then failed upward and became prime minister of Italy. But that's typical of our, you know, official and establishment and how things work with all those things. But bottom line is we all agree, including the Federal Reserve, when you look at their models, when you look at they're actually saying they're saying, yes, the economy is slowing and that the difference of opinion is from where and how fast. OK, so we've got a couple. Let's say it's a balanced argument right now where the Federal Reserve has a couple of statistics they can point to in employment. We've got a couple of statistics in employment that we can point to. Let's look at multiple independent points of view. We'll set aside employment. And the one I'm thinking of was covered yesterday in a live stream with Brent Milkshake Johnson and George Gorgeous Gammon. And Jeff, I know that you didn't watch it. But I will give you three guesses. I'll bet my bottom dollar you did not watch it, but I will give you three guesses. And the first two don't count as to what topic Brent Milkshake Johnson raised on the show with George Gorgeous Gammon. Uh, what did it have to do with milkshakes? <laughs> All right, Steve, I throw it to you. What topic would Brent raise? What is he known for? Uh, what have to be dollars, Emil. 
Jeff, the U.S. dollar. Yeah, isn't that the isn't that Your the key ingredient in his the, milkshake? Is the dollar? I do know that much. The U.S. What's <laughs> what's happening with the rupee, the Korean won, the U.S. dollar, the euro, the yen? Jeff, is this important? Yeah, and it's you know if we're looking for a tiebreaker right now, as you said, Emil, we got the Fed and it has some economic data. We've got other people who disagree with the Fed. They they have economic data for looking to all that stuff. So if we're looking for a tiebreaker, we would probably go to markets where trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars are at risk. And it pays to know or at least have a better idea of what's going on in the actual economy that we can't really see. You know, Adam Smith's uh, invisible hand and all that. Um, Whereas the Fed, they don't. I mean, they, as I mentioned, they all fail upward. If they get it wrong, no big deal. You know, Janet Yellen's getting three hundred fifty thousand dollars a speech at you know for all these places, even though her tenure was a complete disaster. Um, ben Bernanke's well signed cured and everything else, so they have nothing to risk. Their models are always wrong. Whereas in these markets, it's live or die, especially in times like this where funding becomes irregular, disorderly, and unpredictable. It is literally live or die. So you better have a good idea of what's probably what's going on, or at least find out the best kind of information that you possibly can. And as you mentioned, Emil, one of the simplest indications that we have available is the dollar's exchange value. History has shown, and recent history has re-emphasized when the dollar goes up, that's bad. And it's not bad because the dollar goes up, the dollar goes up in response to bad. And we've seen the dollar go up quite a lot, not just this year, but recently, last couple of weeks, it has absolutely surged, which is a powerful, very simple indication that Jay's got it wrong, that we're not risking, you know, we're not at risk of inflation here. We're actually at risk of the opposite. The DXY, which is just my least favorite measure of the U.S. dollar, is at 107. Yeah. For any of you that have not been paying attention since it was at 104. The euro, Steve, at 101. Do you remember when it was below par? We are heading towards that again. Of course, the yen is in the 130s, 135. Steve, do you talk about the dollar currencies on your show? What do you say? What do you tell people who don't believe that a rising dollar is uh, concerning? Yeah, that's a good question, though, because it is concerning. It tells us what we know is there's a dollar shortage. and, And this doesn't make sense to most people. How can there be a dollar shortage when the Fed printed trillions and trillions of dollars? In fact, there should be too many of them. But what we're seeing out there is exactly that, a dollar shortage. And if the U.S. economy continues to slow as a result of that, well, Jeff's got it perfectly right on. The Fed is doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. They're tightening into a dollar shortage. It's actually the, the worst thing they could be doing, but they can't see it. You know, a lot of people often ask me, well, how come the Fed gets this wrong? And the example I like to use is get in your car and cover the windshield with a blanket or something. Now, don't, of course, actually do this, (laughs) but find the most treacherous path to go somewhere and drive there looking through your rearview mirror only. Cover everything up and only look in your rearview mirror. And you tell me if you can get there without one nick on your car, then you've done it successfully. Well, that's why the Fed can't do it. Because they look at lagging indicators, and instead of looking at leading indicators and looking at what the dollar's telling them, they're looking at pay, you know, payroll reports, which, of course, we know the BLS uh, fudges a bit, and some other reports. 
it just doesn't work. But what the economy is telling us is there's a severe risk to recession coming in the second half of this year. The only question is, how bad is it going to be? And if the Fed continues down the path they're going, well, there's going to be a stark reversal. Of course, that's what the bond market is telling us. As the two tens, I don't know if they're inverted today, but uh, we're just saying near, well, I'll just say near inversion for the time when someone may be watching this. It's telling us there is something wrong, but the Fed can't see it. Jeff, speaking of yields, our friends in Europe had some excitement today in Greece. Their 10-year bond is up, I'm going to round up, 30 basis points today. Italy is up 11 basis points. Now, I thought the, the Greek one, that's, yeah, you can't, that's, that's concerning. But the Italian one, I, would think, I was thinking, okay, we've got a euro dollar number two European sovereign crisis replay taking place. But then I saw that Germans, Germany, their 10-year bond is up 0.136. So 14, let's call it 14 basis points. Do you have any insight as to what's going on? Why are yields rising in Europe so strongly? And if not, we can go to whatever topic you'd like. No, to Europe is a good, good, good place to look at, too, because the tug of war is starting to go there. Well, not starting to go. It's starting to develop even more over there because as the ECB trails the Fed and starts to become more hawkish and gets closer to interest rates, interest rate hikes, too. You have the same sort of discussion about the European economy and the European system that we're having right now. How far can the ECB go before something like a European or global recession forces ECB to stop and reverse? And it's the same kind of uh, same kind of setup there. You know, the ECB is looking at their indication to stay off the analogy, flying or driving blind, looking in the rearview mirror. The ECB is doing the same thing. The market um, German bunds had had a severe, a serious rally. Up until the uh, last couple of days, you know, Ger- German bond yields had dropped as, as some of the peripheral spreads did, too, because the back end of the yield curve in Europe, even though it's not inverted like it uh, is in treasuries, there's some functional technical differences between the two markets. But there's still that tug of war. The market is trying to price out and tease out when is it that the ECB might even be able to begin hiking rates? And if they do, when does it stop? And of course, markets fluctuate. Nothing ever goes in a straight line. It's always back and forth day to day, and it's starting to settle out. And I think over time, you'll see the same thing that you see in the treasury market, where the balance of perception, the balance of trading starts to tilt more and more toward the long end, which I think accounts for what has happened over the last, you know, especially the last two weeks in June, where you had major, major deflationary trading all across markets, not just in bonds or euro dollar futures, but commodities. I mean, come on, copper crashing, even oil this week. Um, there's this deflationary uh, feeling, this deflationary worry, concern, whatever you want to call it, that is really starting to fall over many, many marketplaces because, as Steve said, as Emil, you know, I mean, the, the, just follow the dollar. The dollar has gone up and it's gone up a lot. That is never a good thing. Deflationary in the economy, deflationary in money creation, not in consumer prices. Steve, I'm going to Ask you if you have any final thoughts, but earlier you asked if the inversion is taking place in the 10-year, two-year, and you will be very happy to know that it is indeed taking place. The 10-year is lower than the two-year, the three-year, the five-year, and the seven-year, and it is only 13 basis points off the one-year. Steve, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the, the audience? 
you know, um, yeah, I do, Emil, and uh, thank you for, for giving us the uh, numbers there, because if there was ever a warning sign, you know, when people say, how do you know that this is all going to play out the way you think it is? If only there was warning signs, and that is one of them. When long-term yields are lower than short-term yields or intermediate-term yields, depending on whatever you want to look at, it is a huge red flag. And the bond market's telling us not only is the Fed wrong, but they're wrong in a big way. And by the end of the year, and I think Jeff will echo the euro dollar curve is telling us the same thing. Things are going to get really bad really quick. Jeff, any words? No, any it's final words? I, I'm thinking back to our conversation, Emil, about the Volcker myth, part two. Remember how they were talking in 1981 about how the or was it 79? I forget. Uh, you have to go back and watch because I can't remember. But how they were talking about how the yield curve was inverted back then. And you correctly pointed out that the study that pegged the yield curve inversion to recession hadn't even been written yet. And they were talking about it in 1979 for the very or 79 or 80. Was it 81? Okay, so in 81, they were talking about for the same reason, which was at the time, they didn't know they didn't put it together with macro indication. But they knew when the yield curve inverted throughout history. And there was a pretty interesting discussion, believe it or not about the history of yield curve inversion, going back into the 1920s. They're throwing all these things together, but the bottom line was they knew when the yield curve inverted, that meant for sure, or as sure as it can possibly be in financial world, which is always uncertain. But when the yield curve inverted, that meant interest rates were going to go lower. And so all we need to do with the yield curve inversion, euro dollar futures curve inversion, is say to ourselves, it's 2022, these things are inverted. What is it that would take to get yields to go lower or interest rates to go lower from here? And there's not many things on that list. 